Hello, and welcome back to another spooky episode of Paranormal Stories and Spooky Shiz. Today, due to an overwhelming response on our poll on our Facebook page, you guys want to hear some spooky serial killer stories. Now, <laughs> I think I've found quite a few that fit the line between paranormal and just plain evil. So, if there are any kitties listening, make sure they are out of the room <laughs> before we continue. And we will dive right into the twisted minds and spooky shiz that is our top spooky serial killers. I'm your host, Chappie, and let's get this started. Our first serial killer is none other than John Wayne Gacy. I don't think we can possibly do a spookier serial killer um, <laughs> that that just looking at a picture of him will creep you out. Um, and I'll be sure to put some on the Facebook page, Paranormal Stories, Spooky Shiz. Um, most of the pictures that we have of him are him in his terrifying clown costume. Um, but there are some of him just in regular attire. But I'll read... Uh, two of the kind of summaries that I found and then kind of go through a timeline of what happened. Um, because believe you me, this is, this is some nightmarish stuff here. All right, without further ado, John Wayne Gacy. I know you haven't forgotten the clown image and you likely never will. The man that the story, the man behind that story is John Wayne Gacy who is known as the Killer Clown. A father and a husband, Gacy was first arrested after being caught sexually assaulting two teenage boys in 1968 and was sentenced to 10 years in jail. But because he behaved behind bars, he was released after only 18 months, proving that the U.S. legal and criminal system was severely lacking at the time. After he was released, Gacy became a popular member of his community as Pogo the Clown, and regularly visited children's parties and events. Had he reformed? Not a chance. Over the next six years, he would kidnap, rape, torture, and brutally murder 33 boys. He received the death penalty for his crimes in 1994, but he probably should have never left jail the first time. All right, so that's an overview of what we're going to talk about. Here's another article from the Crime Mu Museum documenting March 17th, 1942 to May 10th, 1994. Or that might just be his... <laughs> I have no idea. That might just be his birth. Because 1942 to 94, that's a long time. Okay. I digress. Let's get into it. All right. To many people, John Wayne Gacy was... To many people, John Wayne Gacy was a friendly man who loved to entertain young children. He frequently dressed up as his alter ego, Poco the Clown, at parties that he hosted for his entire neighborhood. By 1978, public perception of Gacy would change forever. Did I read that right? By 1978, public perception of Gacy would change forever, and he would earn the ominous nickname, The Killer Clown. The first warning sign about Gacy appeared in 1964, when he was found guilty of sodomizing two young boys. Gacy was arrested and spent 18 months in prison. 
By the time he was released, Gacy was divorced and decided to move to Chicago for a fresh start. In Chicago, Gacy found a successful construction business, founded a successful construction business, attended church, remarried, and volunteered as the Democratic precinct captain in his area. During this time, he threw elaborate block parties and built a solid reputation in his community. Gacy was respected and admired by his friends, neighbors, and police officers. During July of 1975, a teenager who worked for Gacy disappeared. His parents pleaded with Chicago police officers to investigate Gacy, but they never did. This would not be the last time worried parents asked officials to review Gacy as a suspect, but the pleas fell on deaf ears. In 1976, Gacy divorced for a second time, and it seemed to give him a feeling of personal freedom. Unknown to anyone else at the time, Gacy began to rape and kill young men. Over a period of just a few years, he murdered 33 people, 29 of whom were found underneath Gacy's house, 26 in the crawl space, and three other bodies were found in other areas beneath his home. A young man went to the police, Chicago police for help in 1977, claiming that he had been kidnapped and molested by John Wayne Gacy. A report was made, but police officers failed to follow up on it. The following year, Gacy murdered a 15-year-old boy who had gone to Gacy's home to ask about a job with his construction company. This time, the Displains police got involved and searched Gacy's home. They found a class ring clothing from a much smaller individuals and other suspicious items. Upon further investigation, officers discovered that the ring belonged to a teenage boy who was missing, and they found a witness who claimed Gacy had admitted to killing up to 30 people. Gacy was arrested and used an insanity plea in hopes of a not guilty verdict. The ruse did not work, and he was found guilty. On May 10, 1994, John Wayne Gacy was executed by lethal injection. All right, so let's kind of break down this timeline. This is coming from the Chicago Tribune. It's a timeline of his actions and his killings. Suburban serial killer John Wayne Gacy and the efforts to recover. Name his 33 victims. This is written three years ago in 2018 by Corey Rumor. In December 1978, police uncovered the first of 29 bodies buried on a suburban businessman, John Wayne Gacy's property, 26 in the crawl space under his home in unincorporated Norwood Park Township, and three more outside the house. He confessed to four more murder victims found in the waterways south of Chicago. Forty years later, here's a guide to the investigation, conviction, and execution of Gacy, and the continuing effort to name the remaining six unidentified victims. 1975. Searching for John. Teens in the uptown neighborhood tell Chicago police a man named John cruises the area in his car picking up young men. He is John Wayne Gacy, a suburban man who runs a remodeling business. 
Officers observed dozens of young men going in and out of Gacy's house in unincorporated Norwood Park Township. They stop many of them for questioning, but none of them say anything against Gacy. Gacy is also known as a community for hosting get-togethers and sometimes dressing up as Pogo the Clown. And it shows pictures of him both in and out of costume. <laughs> and I gotta say, the killer clown costume is just, it's just terrifying. It's nightmare fodder. <laughs> like, it's its bad. I'll be sure to post some in our Facebook page so you guys can enjoy this too. <sighs> if I have to see it, you have to see it. <laughs> All right. January of 1976, officers stake out Gacy's house. Suspecting Gacy might be responsible for the disappearance of a nine-year-old boy, the Chicago Police Youth Division runs surveillance on his house, just east of O'Hare International Airport, though it's outside of their jurisdiction. They're not able to build a case against Gacy. March 1977, sexual assault claim. 27-year-old Northsider Jeff Rignall says Gacy enticed him into his car by offering marijuana before using chloroform to render him unconscious. Rignall says Gacy then drove him to his house, handcuffed him, and sexually attacked him before letting him go. A $3,000 civil suit was settled in the case. Gacy was also charged with battery, a misdemeanor. Rignall writes in the book 29 Below about the experience. December 31st, 1977. Seized, then freed. It was a one-on-one -on -one situation with Gacy's word against the kids. There were no witnesses. An unified, unidentified official familiar with the case had said. Gacy is arrested by Chicago police after a 19-year-old teen from the north side says the man kidnapped him at gunpoint and forced him to engage in sexual acts. The police report shows that he was taken into custody. Gacy admitted engaging in the acts with the youth and their brutality, but denied the teen was an unwilling participant. The assistant state's attorney decided not to prosecute Gacy. Wow, that is so dumb. Wow. With a history... Is there an established history at this point? Because if there is... I'm not sure if there is or not. I should just keep reading. But I'm just saying, like, if there is this history or this trend, they should definitely not just let these things slide. But it was the 70s, before the Me Too movement, before um, we knew about victim shaming or believing the victim and all that kind of stuff. All right, May 6, 1978. Photo with First Lady. Oh my gosh. As director of the Polish Constitution Day Parade, Gacy, receiving Secret Service clearance, meets and takes photos with the First Lady, Rosalind Carter. Oh my gosh. This guy is like connected. Like, oh my gosh. This guy is it's crazy. All right. December 11th, 1978. An honor student disappears. De Plains Police Lieutenant Joe Kaczynski. Kaczynski 
said, there's an outside chance he ran away, but I doubt it. Robert Priest, or Peist, a 15-year-old sophomore at Maine West High School, prepares to end his shift at Nissan Pharmacy on Tui Avenue in the Plain around 9 p.m. His mother, Elizabeth, arrives to pick him up and drive him back to their DePlain house to celebrate her 46th birthday with family. Pice, however, tells his mother to wait a few minutes because he has to see a man about a construction job that pays $5 an hour, nearly twice what he was making at the drugstore. He is not seen alive again. After waiting, Elizabeth Pice becomes alarmed and drives back to her house. She returns to the area with husband Harold, son Ken, daughter Carrie, and the family's two German shepherds. Their search turns up nothing. At 11.29 p.m., Elizabeth Beist arrives at the DePlain police station to file a missing persons report on her son. December 12, 1978. Police want to question Gacy. Lieutenant... <laughs> I'm struggling with these words. Whose son attends the same high school as Pice insists on an in-depth investigation. He learns Gacy, whose PMD or PDM contractors had recently remodeled the Nissan pharmacy, was the man Pice went to speak to about a job. Gacy is asked to come to the police station for questioning. At 11 p.m., Gacy calls Kaczynskak and asks, you still want to talk to me? Yeah, Kaczynskak responds. How long do, do you think it will take you to get here? A half hour, Gacy says. Kaczynskak waits until 1 a.m., but Gacy doesn't show. Police later learn that after the phone call, Gacy goes to his attic, takes the body of the Pice boy, and moves it into the trunk of his car. He drives south on Joliet and dumps the body in the DePlain River. December 13, 1978. Gacy's denial leads to police search. Investigators later discover Gacy's car was towed out of a snowbank at 2 a.m. on the Tri-State Tollway north of Ogden Avenue, about 38 miles north of where Gacy would later say he dumped Pice's body. Records from the low truck from the tow truck company help authorities determine within an hour the time Gacy disposed of the youth's body. At 3.20 a.m., Gacy walks into the DePlain police station with mud on his pants and shoes. He asks to speak with Kazinsat and is told to come back later. He does return and gives officers a brief statement. Kazinsat asks Gacy for the keys to his house, showing him a search warrant. Gacy protests, but surrenders his keys. Inside the house, police and Cook County Sheriff's Office evidence technician discover a receipt for a roll of film being developed. The Pice family says the receipt belongs to a female friend of their son. Pice offered to have the film developed for her. They seize the other items from inside the house as well as Gacy's car, van, and a pickup truck to be searched later. No other items relating to Pice are found, but police conclude that Pice was in Gacy's house. Gacy, married twice, twice divorced, and currently living alone, is released from jail around 11 p.m. December 15th, 
1978. Police find items linked to young men. One day after police placed Casey under around-the-clock surveillance, a Main West high school ring police retrieved from the home is linked to John Sick, a youth missing for two years. That same day, a Gacy employee tells police that two former employees had disappeared. December 19, 1978, lawyers file suit against police. Gacy invites two police officers inside his house for breakfast. Both smell the odor of death. Gacy's lawyers file a $750,000 civil rights suit against a plane and its police department, charging the officers are harassing their client with illegal searches and seizures and destroying his reputation with their investigation. Oh my gosh. It shows pictures of his house and he's got a portrait of a, a clown artwork. Makes me never want to <laughs> see that kind of artwork ever again. It's just so creepy. All right. December 20th, 1978. Police learn of a prior conviction. In 1968, Gacy pleaded guilty to one charge of sodomy of a teenage boy while living in Waterloo, Iowa, and was sentenced to 10 years in prison. He was paroled in 1970 and allowed to return to Chicago to serve his parole, which ended in October 1971. All right, December 21st, 1978, Gacy is arrested and the first bodies are found. While under police surveillance, Gacy is seen handling a package containing marijuana to a gas station, handing a package containing marijuana to a gas station clerk. Gacy is followed, then arrested. Police are told Gacy has already admitted to his lawyer that he committed maybe 30 murders. With Gacy in custody, DePlane Police and Cook County Sheriff Office investigators obtain a warrant and again enter Gacy's one-story ranch-style house. Police accuse Gacy of holding Pice there against his will and threaten to tear up the floor and find the teen's body. Gacy denies Pice is there, but says he was forced to kill a man in self-defense and buried him under the concrete floor in his garage. He leads investigators to the garage and with a can of spray paint marks the place on the floor where the body is buried. Police also discover a trap door in the house's crawl space where they find parts of at least three bodies. Oh my god. December 22nd, 1978. Gacy confesses. Gacy's giving all kinds of statements, saying there's a body here, a body there, a body in the lake or lagoon, a body buried. That's what the Cook County Sheriff Richard Elrod is saying. In a rambling verbal statement lasting several hours, Gacy tells police he has killed 32 young men after having sexual relations with them. He talks of himself in the third person, saying the slangs and sex acts were committed by Jack or John. He says he buried the bodies of 27 victims on his property. 29 would be discovered and most of them in, crawl space, in the crawl space. Five other bodies, four would be found by police, including that of Pice, were thrown into the river south of Chicago, Gacy says. He draws a diagram showing where the bodies are buried and gives the names of at least six victims. Gacy is charged with Pice's murder 
and though the youth's body has not been found. All right. Oh, and then it shows pictures of the headlines and them recovering the bodies. Gruesome stuff. December 23rd, 1978. Thorough search begins. As Gacy is moved to the Cook County Clerk's Cermak Hospital, his house is dismantled and search for victims continue. Papers, wallets, and other property is missing from Chicago area use, including 19-year-old John Sick and 17-year-old Gregory Godset are found inside his house. An anthropologist and dental experts are brought to the house to help with evidence. Parents of the missing boys, as far away as London, call in an effort to learn the identity of any of the victims. The discovery of a red light and police radio in Gacy's car leads authorities to surmise he might have posed as police officer to lure unsuspecting victims in his late model bl black Oldsmobile. Removing floorboards in the kitchen of Gacy's house in late 1978 and early 1979, they discovered more bodies. December 24th and 25th of 1978, holidays halt work. Business cards say Gacy Precinct Captain. Police guard the site as hundreds of people drive or walk by Gacy's house. Investigators learn that Gacy was a precinct captain in the Norwood Park Township Democratic Party organization. December 26, 1978. Five bodies found in crawl space, one found earlier in the Plain River attributed to Gacy. It's one of the most horrendous cases I've ever had anything to do with, Cook County State Attorney Bernard Carey had said. Nine victims are recovered from the property to date, eight so far from the crawl space in the northeast quarter of the house, in the area under the office where Gacy conducted his remodeling business. Police tie the death of Frank Landigan, whose naked body was discovered in the Des Moines River, or Des Plaines River, in Shenahone in Will County on November 12, 1978, to Gacy. Eight more bodies discovered. He always had a lot of kids working around his place, and they never stayed long, said a neighbor. Fifteen of the 18 bodies found to date, the most linked to one person in Chicago area history, had been removed from Gacy's property. Police are aided in recovering their bodies by diagram. They say it was prepared by Gacy. Oh my gosh, he drew a picture of his house like a blueprint, and then numbered where he had buried people on the blueprint that he drew. That's so messed up. Several of the victims had men's bikini underwear stuffed inside their mouth, while others had rope around their necks, indicating they had been strangled. December 28, 1978, four more bodies found. Onlookers abound. I want my children to know what, what dangers lurk in society, one of the neighbors said. 21 bodies found to date, but none found on Gacy's property have yet been identified. Gacy, who initially confessed to investigators, refused to further discuss his case. Crowds and broadcast news crews and trucks gather outside the house daily. December 29, 1978. 
Six more bodies found, a total up to 28. I'm surprised we haven't had more calls from parents. Maybe they cannot imagine their sons getting involved in a case with homosexual overtones. Sergeant Howard Anderson, Cook County Sheriff's Office Investigation Unit. As Cook County Chief Medical Examiner Robert Stein says, there's evidence more there's evidence more bodies are buried under the house. Fewer than two dozen relatives have contacted police in an attempt to identify victims. Gacy, however, can't be charged in the deaths of the victims whose bodies are found on the property until they are identified. Oh my gosh. A national toll-free hotline is established for teenage runaway to advise family and friends they are safe in the wake of the Gacy case. Authorities reveal identity of first body taken from Gacy house. Three known. If the devil's alive... He lived here, said a worker inside the Gacy house. As the death toll climbs to 29, with workers continuing to dismantle the house, dental experts announce the first body found on the Gacy property belongs to 18-year-old John Butskovic, Butkovic, Butkovic of Chicago. I don't know how to say that name. Um, Butkovic worked for... Gacy before vanishing August 1st, 1975 of the previous year. His parents said their son went to the Gacy house that day to collect money. He said Gacy owed him. While being questioned by police on December 21st, 1978, Gacy led officers to his garage and showed them where a body, later identified as this guy, was buried. The body was exhumed the next day. Authorities also announced the body of 20-year-old James Mazzara of Elmwood Park, missing since the prior month, was pulled up from the De Plain River on December 28, 1978, and positively identified. He was found in the same area where Frank Landigan's body was found November 12, 1978. Gacy told police several bodies could be found in the juncture of the De Plains and Kankakee River south of Joliet. Whew, this just keeps going. Um, let me check the time. Oh, yeah. Let's take a short break, um, get a little breather, and then I'll continue. <laughs> All right, welcome back. We are still talking about John Wayne Gacy. Um, still on this timeline. January 1st, 1979, three more victims identified, six known. One of the victim's mothers says, up until now, I felt that, gee, maybe he got away. Maybe it wasn't him until he was identified. Experts meet with Cook County's medical examiner to compare 27 sets of dental charts created after examining the upper and lower set of teeth for each victim. Again, that's 12 sent in by relatives of missing young men. They identified three more victims, marking six total identifications as of the state. Gregory Gotsit of Chicago, who was 17 when he disappeared. John Sick of Chicago, 19, who disappeared. Rick Johnson of Benson, 17 
who was last seen June 8th, 1976, after his mother dropped him off at a concert. Investigators believe the delivery of charts for comparison may be slow because parents are reluctant to admit their sons met with Gacy. Meanwhile, the Chicago Metropolitan Clown Guild holds a news conference to say Gacy is the piquant pinkant for playing Poco the Clown has caused other clowns in Chicago um, area to lose bookings because mothers are afraid that clowns near to have clowns near their children. I mean, after after he <laughs> was constantly Pogo the Clown, I would be too. <laughs> All right. January 3rd, 1979. Gacy is interviewed. Authorities meet with Gacy, who assures them, you have all the bodies. 27 have been recovered on his property. Two more have been pulled out of the De Plain River near Juliet. Gacy says each of the victims, residents of Cook County, was killed inside his house, and it was only after the crawl space under his house became crowded that he began disposing of the bodies in the river. He also described how he killed the first person inside his bedroom on January 3rd, 1972, by stabbing him. He reported, reportedly said it was a youth he picked up at the Greyhound bus station in the loop. Investigators find a large blood stain on the underside of the carpet in the bedroom. In 1986, the victim is identified as 16-year-old Timothy Jack McCoy. But the body still being sought is that of 15-year-old Robert Pice of Deplaine, the only person whom Gacy is charged with murdering. The only person... Oh my God! Investigators say Gacy admitted to the previous admitted the previous month that he killed Pice and threw the body into the river. Pice's jacket is found inside Gacy's house. The downfilled coat is found exactly where Gacy tells the investigators to search under the flooring in the laundry room. It's later confirmed by Pice's relatives to have belonged to him. January 6, nineteen seventy nine. Four bodies identified, ten known. Michael Bonin, Robbery Gilroy, John Prestige, Russell Nelson. And it looks like they... One of them was a neighbor. One of them went to find work as a contractor at the construction business. Yeah, and the other one, same thing, construction. January 7th, 1979, missing persons data, data, data bank to be created. Estimating the department receives up to 20,000 reports of missing persons, about 14,000 of those of which are juveniles each year, Police in Chicago announced the agency will create a computerized program to help investigate cases of those who have been kidnapped or killed. Police say the decision to computerize the missing persons record was made as a result of the Gacy case. It won't, however, eliminate the problems that overlapping police jurisdictions cause since Chicago and the suburbs do not work closely together or share much information. Oof, that might be an issue. A crime so heinous, they change the entire way that they do things. January 8th, 1979. 
Gacy's indicted. State seeks death penalty. Gacy is charged with the murder of seven young men and the felonies of aggravated kidnapping, deviant sexual assault, and taking indecent liberties with a child. Cook County State's attorney Bernard Carey says Gacy can have a fair trial here and opposes any effort by defense lawyers to move the trial to another county. Another identification linked to Gacy. Lieutenant Ronald Fox of the Grundy County Police or Sheriff's Office says he was naked and found so close to the others that it was very possible he was involved in the Gacy thing. The body recovered in June 1978 in the Illinois River, just three miles from where Frank Langdon and James Mazzara's body were found, is identified through fingerprints as Timothy O'Rourke of Chicago. Gacy's plea, not guilty. Charged with the murder of seven young men, Gacy pleads not guilty in front of the judge, Louis Garippo, at what is now the latent criminal court building in Chicago. The charges include murder while committing another felony, a capital offense. January 27, 1979. Two bodies identified, 12 known. John Mowry and Matthew Bowen. March 9th, 28th body found on Gacy property. Skeletal remains bearing a wedding band on the ring finger of the left hand are dug up from beneath the driveway area, a location not marked on the rough diagram that Gacy provided earlier to police. March 16th, a 29th body found, 32 now tied to Gacy. A skeleton is found in the mud below the floorboards of an addition to Gacy's house. March 17th, 11th body identified. The father says when Billy was 14 or 15, he was caught with a Smith & Weston automatic pistol. According to what I've learned from some of his friends, he'd shoot at it at people just to scare them. He used to like to watch them run. Dental records reveal William Carroll of Chicago, 16, is a Gacy victim. The youth with a piquant for getting into trouble disappeared on June 13, 1976, his older brother's birthday. April 9th, Pice's body identified. Believed to be the last of Gacy's victims, police had evidence in Gacy's car and home tied to Pice. Gacy confessed to dumping Pice's body in the Deplaine River and was arrested for his murder. But Pice isn't positively identified as Gacy victim until dental charts and x-rays confirm it. April 10th, 1979, Gacy's house is demolished. A neighbor said, I've had friends ask when it was going up for sale. Time will make people forget. With Illinois Supreme Court refusing to allow further delay, the Gacy house is raised by community workers. April 11th, 16th body identified by x-ray. Randall Reffitt, 15, is not identified by dental records, but an x-ray taken at the hospital after he previously suffered a stab wound. His body had been removed from the crawl space under Gacy's house December 25, 1978. Indicted for 33 murders, already under indictment for the murders of seven youths, Gacy is indicted for an additional 26 by the Cook County Grand Jury, and at 33 total, 
It's the largest number charged to one person in U.S. history at the time. May 21st, the 17th body is found. I even called Billy's sister and even told my mother that I felt Billy was under that house. Mary Jo Paulus, who was his girlfriend, had said, and that was William Kindred of, of Chicago, 19, is identified through dental charts supplied by his mother. June 17, 1979, the auction is called off. I'm not sure it's the proper way to get the money, uh, said Sam Gacy's attorney. Items not needed as evidence, including stereo equipment, furniture, tools from remodeling business, and collection of clown heads are scheduled to be sold at the Kane County Fairgrounds. It's an attempt to get funds to pay Gacy's legal team. The auction, however, is called off when Gacy's attorney realized it would take place on Father's Day. Gacy's belongings would stay in storage for 15 years, and then Attorney General Burris filing a lawsuit to recoup costs at warehousing them for Gacy's 19 before 1994 execution. Gacy's cars, including 1979 Oldsmobile, used to carry the body of at least one of his victims, are apparently sold in an April 1980 auction in Winnebago County. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine having a 1979 Oldsmobile that used to be John Gacy's car? Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay, okay. If you have that car, let me know if there's any creepy stuff that happens. All right. July 23rd, Sheriff releases description of personal items, clothings, watchings, necklaces, belt buckles. One trial, August 28th. The judge said, it's apparent that it would not serve the ends of justice to fragment the prosecution into 33 separate prosecutions. So he grants the motion to combine the 33 murder indictments pending against Gacy into one. The tentative trial is January 7th, 1980. Oof, these things drag on. Two bodies identified in 19 known. Tommy Bowling Jr. disappeared. Bowling's sister said he's using drugs at the time. Uh, Robert Winch, 16, disappeared. He had been in trouble before and vanished after running away from a foster home. Right, so it sounds like he would pick up troubled youth out and about. October 24th, 1979, county to pay for Gacy's defense. Wow, that sucks. Um, if we ever make a profit in this case, we would gladly reimburse the county. The exact amount is not determined, but the judge rules Cook County taxpayers will pay for the attorneys for Gacy. Oh my gosh. They said that they are have run out of money or more than $2,000 in debt. Wow. November 14th, another Gacy victim is identified. He was just any other kid. He'd get picked up for curfew violation, fine. But he was no runaway. That's Samuel Stapleton's, whose body was identified. That was what his mother had said. He disappeared on a walk home from his sister's house, and his mother and stepfather reported him missing the next day. 
November 16th, identification brings total to 21 known victims. On what would be his 21st birthday, David Talzma of Chicago is identified through x-rays of his left arm as Gacy victim whose body was discovered in the house's crawlspace. My gosh. January 7th, 1980. Jury to be chosen in Winnebago County, trial in Chicago. 19, or January 26th, Gacy rushed to Rockford. Under extraordinary security measures, Gacy is transferred from Cook County to an isolated area on the third floor of the building next to Winnebago County Courthouse prior to jury selection. February 6th, trial begins. Um, the Assistant State Attorney Robert Egan said that Gacy killed people like he was swatting flies. Due to the graphic nature of the testimony and evidence to be presented, Judge Garapo bans anyone younger than 16 years old from the courtroom. Defense attorneys hope to convince the jury that Gacy is not guilty by reason of insanity. Prosecutors want Gacy sentenced to the electric chair. March 12, 1980. Guilty. The Cook County State's attorney, Bernard Carey, said he certainly qualifies for the death penalty. If he doesn't, who does? After five weeks of testimony from psychiatrists, police, neighbors, acquaintances, and family members of the victim, a jury takes less than two hours to, convince, to convict Gacy of killing 33 men. March 13th, he's sentenced to death. The judge says, I don't know what the trial cost. Whatever the cost, it was a small price. My voice is cracking because I really feel it's a small price we pay for our freedom. What we do for the John Gacy's of the world, we will do for everyone. Parents and relatives of Gacy's victims break into applause as it's announced around 6.30 p.m. that Gacy has been sentenced to die. Judge Garippo sets an execution date of June 2, 1980, but the sentence is automatically stayed while the case is appealed in the Illinois Supreme Court. March 14th of 1980, he's transferred to death row. March 29th, three victims identified, 24 known. One of the sisters says it's a relief in one way to finally know what happened to Kenny. Kenneth Parker, Michael Marino, Dan Daryl Sampson are all identified. And they look very young. All right. May 15th, 1980, Gacy's lawyers quit. Pursue book deal. On that date, they withdraw from the case. Um, they were each paid 44000 for their work defending Gacy. They withdraw from the case and bill the county 57000 for expenses. A circuit kept... Court judge clears the way for them to be paid for their contribution to a book, movie, and television deal. Gacy judge quits on July 1st. Judge Garippo resigns from the bench after almost 12 years as a Cook County judge to enter private practice. July 14th, 1980. Artist reconstructs unknown victims. Um, the medical examiner said my plea would be a very simple one. 
are you parents or aren't you parents? Do you have a son or don't you have a son? Um, they were able to recreate some of the faces from some of the skeletal remains. Um, and then June 12th, a lot of them were laid to rest. I don't want to see you go to your final resting places as just numbers, Robert Stein, Cook County Chief Medical Examiner, said. Each one was buried in a separate cemetery with its own graveside service and marker inscribed, We Remembered. August 1982, Gacy paintings are shown sold at Illinois State Fair. Six paintings created by Gacy, including one featuring the seven dwarves, a desert scene, a mountain range scene, portraits of a circus clown, and a portrait of a Native American chief are among 500 pieces exhibited at the fair by prison inmates. Four of the works sell between $20 and $45. The money is then used to provide inmate paints and other art materials. That's creepy. I wouldn't want anything he created in my home. But that's just me. June 6th, Supreme Court upholds Gacy's convictions. July 24th, Gacy's property is sold. Appeal denied by U.S. Supreme Court. Earliest victim identified. Ground broken at site of Gacy's former home for a new house. May 10th, 1994, he's executed. If his lawyers believe that delaying the court with paper at the last instance would lead us to delay an execution in order to make more time to read documents they were mistaken, says Judge Frank Easterbrook, U.S. Court of Appeals. With all his legal appeals exhausted, Gacy dies following a lethal injection of chemicals at, 20, at 12.58 a.m. at Statesville Correctional Center near Joliet. His last meal included fried chicken and butterfly shrimp. Bidders spend up to $20,000 to obtain Gacy paintings with a plan of to destroy them. And here it shows a bonfire of Gacy's paintings that he did in prison uh, being thrown into a fire. Hey, I think it's fair. <laughs> All right. So yeah, that's the... That's the uh, story of John Wayne Gacy, and it's not a fun story at all. Um, it's very disturbing. I found it to be one of the most disturbing uh, serial killer stories out there. Um, it's definitely spooky. Um, I'm sure I'll post a picture of the clown getup that he would use to go to children's parties because it'll make you never want to <laughs> see a clown again. It's very scary. Some even hypothesize that uh, American Horror Story based their clown figure on John Wayne Gacy. But I digress. All right. We'll take a short break and get back to it right after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a 
Got your happy price, price line. All right, welcome back. If I haven't scared you off by now, <laughs> I'm going to be covering, um, you know, a few more serial killers. Um, again, serial killers aren't really my cup of tea um, just because it shows the evil that mankind can do like the monsters are real and it's us kind of thing so i just want to remind everybody like um you know to be safe be cautious it's like watching criminal minds nonstop. <laughs> don't get sucked too far down the rabbit hole um to where that's all you think about but with that being said i'm going to go through this article um it'll be a lot shorter than the gacy one i thought gacy was probably the most evil and the most creepy to me um, so I went quite in-depth on that case. But the rest of these will just be short summaries um, so that we can fly through this. All right. Without further ado, this article comes from Bustle. And it's the 13 most terrifying serial killers ever. There's no doubt about it. We have grotesque fascination with anything macabre. That's why serial killers are considered both horrendous and deeply fascinating. We can't help but want to learn more about these disturbed individuals, or at the very least, once they've caught our attention, we can't look away. But there are a crop of serial killers who stand out above the rest, thanks to heinous and prolific nature of their crimes. But they were so brutal and twisted that they will go down as the most terrifying serial killers in history. I know you want to know more. A serial killer is officially defined as someone who kills three or more people, but spread out over time. So claiming three victims all in one go does not earn you the title of serial killer. It just makes you a spree slayer. Look, please don't do any of this. <laughs> serial killers are also often characterized by their seemingly normal facades, which suggest them to be regular, law-abiding citizens, which contrast sharply with the ghastly natures of their murders adding fodder for our sick minds. The behavior exhibited by serial killers range from atrocious, sexually assaulting victims before killing them, to nightmarish, cannibalizing victims' bodies, to the absolutely unimaginable, doing all that in a clown suit. Prepare to feel tingles in your spine, but don't ever bother looking away. Here are 13 of the most terrifying serial killers in history. The first one is John Wayne Gacy, who we've already covered, so we'll go to the next one. Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer's name is pretty much synonymous with cannibalism. The killer is notorious for dismembering and eating his victims after killing them. Oh, and he was also reportedly a necrophiliac. As if hearing about Dahmer's activities wasn't scary enough, they had to go and make a movie about him starring a creepy and convincing Jeremy Renner. The film even depicted how Dahmer would drill a hole in his victims' heads to try and create zombie-like sex slaves out of them. Something that can't be unseen. So, that's all the article says about Jeffrey Dahmer. But I just have to say, like, when it comes to cannibalism, um, there's a certain kind of evil that comes with that. Um, some religions even believe that once you consume somebody, um, you consume their power or their, um, essence 
Some religions uh, believe that you become possessed by demons if you allow yourself to um, consume God's creation of like, you know, that he created in his image. So if you eat another person, you're basically inviting demons into yourself. Um, I don't know what I believe about that. It kind of goes along with like the Wendigo stuff where like people get that Wendigo psychosis and like eat people. Um, but along with that, cannibalism is just all around bad and evil. Um, so it's not like I'm telling you like, oh, don't go do it because common sense should tell you that in and of itself. <laughs> um, but it's just creepy to talk about too and creepy to watch creepy. It's just all creepy vibes. So a lot of these have to do with sex too. So I'm telling you, there's just so much evil that mankind can do. Um, but that's pretty much all I want to talk about with Jeffrey Dahmer. He's my second most. It's John Wayne Gacy, then Jeffrey Dahmer. is definitely my second most heinous serial killer. Third is Jack the Ripper. In the 19th century, an unidentified serial killer stalked London, gruesomely killing female prostitutes by slitting their throats and abdomens, often taking their internal organs. Someone trying to claim credit for the murders called himself Jack the Ripper in a letter, and the name has stuck ever since. I mean, it's pretty fitting. That's all the article says about Jack the Ripper. He did target women and slit their throats and everything. Um, he's pretty heinous. I know in one of my previous episodes, um, there was a group of little girls um, at a sleepover trying to do um, a Ouija board. And one of them was like, who should we contact? And another one was like, oh, let's contact Jack the Ripper. And then one girl got really uncomfortable and said, no, we should not do that. And then from across the room, they heard a male voice say, she's right, you know. And there were no males in the home at the time. So <laughs> I'm sure that girl was sensitive and everything to be able to hear that, but that's pretty freaky. Again, would not mess with stuff like this. Um... Next one is Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy perfectly fits the profile of the normal, even good-looking guy who moonlights as a sadist. In 1974 to 1978, Bundy kidnapped and murdered at least 30 women. Those were just the ones he confessed to or police found. The clever and cruel Bundy would pretend to be disabled or an authority figure to lure unsuspecting victims into his trap. He would then rape, torture, kill, and dismember them. Just because you're evil and murderous doesn't mean you can't be sentimental. Bundy kept severed heads of his victims as keepsakes. Oh my gosh. That is so messed up. I don't know if you guys have seen the documentary. I think it might be on Netflix. Um, starring Zac Efron. But yeah, they left some of that out. <laughs> but yeah, I can't with that. That is gruesome. There's Eileen Warnos, Warnos. Arguably the most well-known female serial killer at the time, Warnos killed at least seven men when she was working as a prostitute between 18, or 1989 and 1990. Warnos gained even more infamy when Charles Charlize Theron uh, 
completely transformed herself to portray her in 2003 film Monster, a role that won her Best Actress Award. The film came out one year after Warnos was executed via lethal injection. Next one is Henry Lee Lucas. Another product of a flawed criminal system, Henry Lee Lucas was released from prison after killing his own mother due to overcrowding. He would then go on to kill at least 350 people over 20 years, though he claims to have been involved in roughly 600 murders. Oh my gosh. Now the numbers are greater for these, but there's not any creepy... I mean, definitely evil, but... Whew, my gosh. So he was let out of prison because of overcrowding, but he killed his mom, you know, and they were like, oh, it's too crowded in this prison. And then he went on to kill 350 people and claims to do at least 600 more. So that's crazy. Next one is Ed Gein. Though Ed Gein's victim count is pretty low compared to some of the other on this list, he was only found guilty of two murders. The absolute sick nature of his crimes make him one of the most notorious serial killers in history. After his mother died, Gein be began digging up women who resembled her from the cemetery and fashioning together a suit out of their skins. Later on, police discovered a veritable museum of body parts in his home, featuring furniture upholstered with human flesh skull bowls, and even a belt made of human nipples. Gein is said to have inspired three very notorious fictional characters, Norman Bates of Psycho, Buffalo Bill of Silence of the Lambs, and Leatherface of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Whew. This is... This stuff's hard to read, y'all. Andre Chikala Tio was born in Ukraine, but would become known as the Butcher of Rostov. Rostov. After being found guilty of killing at least 52 women and children between 1978 and 1990, he later revealed in an interview that he could only experience set sexual satisfaction when stabbing a woman or child, which he discovered with his first documented victim, a nine-year-old girl. Ugh, that is horrible. That is horrible. I cannot. All right, Gary Ridgway. Known as the Green River Killer, Gary Ridgway was convicted of 49 murders, making him the most prolific American serial killer based on confirmed killings. In 1980s and 1990s, Ridgway would lure women and girls shown by, by showing them a picture of his son and then strangle them before throwing their bodies in the Green River in Washington State. Pedro Lopez. Colombian-born Pedro Lopez was accused of raping and killing more than 300 girls throughout South America in Colombia, Peru, and Ecuador, which earned him the nickname the Monster of the Andes. In 1980, Lopez led police to the graves of 59 of his victims, who were all girls between the ages of 9 and 12. Yet somehow, he was released from a psychiatric hospital in 1998 on good behavior and remains at large to this day. David Berkowitz, better known as the Son of Sam, Berkowitz terrorized New York City from the summer of 1976 to the summer of 1977, 
killing six people and wounding seven others with a 44 caliber revolver. After his shootings, he would send letters to police, taunting them and promising more victims. When he was caught and indicted on eight shootings, Berkowitz claimed that he was obeying orders from his neighbor's dog, his neighbor Sam's dog, Harvey, which he said was a demon. Ugh, creepy. Next one is Dennis Rader. Another fan of sending mocking notes to law enforcement was Dennis Rader, who killed at least 10 people between 1974 and 1991 in and around Wichita, Kansas. Known as the BTK, Blind, Bind, Torture, and Kill Killer, Rader led police to his own capture by sending them a floppy disk that contained crucial evidence. Unfortunately, Raider's campaign for notoriety worked, since we're still talking about him to this day. Richard Trenton, Trenton Chase. If your stomach hasn't turned yet, then it will now with Richard Trenton Chase's story. Known as the Vampire of Sacramento, Chase began drinking blood of small animals, like rabbits and birds, sometimes blending their organs with Coca-Cola to make a totally disgusting concoction. After being released from a mental institution, Chase moved to human targets. He engaged in necrophilia and cannibalism with his victims, often dismembering them and drinking their blood. Over the course of one month in 1977, Chase killed six people in California and were caught and was caught when he murdered an entire family in 1979. Later that year, Chase was sentenced to death, but beat the system by committing suicide in a cell a year later. Ugh, okay. Well, that is the list um, of serial killers and the evil that they, you know, brought to our world. I mean, if you ask me... And again, serial killers is definitely not my cup of tea. But I think it's good to know about what the human mind is capable of. Now, a lot of these people were deranged and were sick in the head or evil or possessed or... I mean, you can't just do normal things like that, <laughs> being a normal functioning member of society. And some of them pass as normal functioning members of society. So I guess what I'm saying is like, make sure you're not taking unnecessary risks and like, I don't know, like live your life, but there's stuff like this out there. And I think it's good to know and recognize that there's stuff like this out there so that we can be cautious and be aware of our surroundings, who are around, if there's any red flags, any internal feelings of anxiety when somebody comes into the room, stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, this stuff's pretty evil, pretty, pretty evil. I mean, we've talked about a lot of spooky things on this podcast, but I mean, these things are like real humans documented to have done these things. You know, it's not a ghost or a spirit or a demon. It might be a demon inside some of these people, but um, these are really just wicked people. And it's scary to think that that kind of mind is out there, you know? So, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I get fascinated by it too, but I would encourage everybody um, to like 
temper your rabbit trail or like your uh, want and desire to know more and more details about every single thing that anybody has ever done uh, because the, the details are quite macabre. And even though I covered a summary of some of them today, it's not even scratching the surface of the information that's out there. Um, and yeah, it just shows that the monsters are real. And a, a lot of times the monsters are us. So be careful out there. And that's going to be my last story for today. So stay spooky, my friends. Don't forget to like and subscribe to our podcast. Uh, give us five stars. Um, join our Facebook group on Paranormal Stories. Spooky Shiz is in parentheses on Facebook groups. Um, join us there, and that's where you can connect, post your stories, your encounters that you've had personally uh, with spirits or anything like that, and we can share on our podcast at a later time. Um, if you want to reach out to me personally, I'm also on there as one of the admins, so just message me on there. All right, that's it for today. I'll see you on the next episode. Stay spooky.